Well, well thank you. I'm really glad that you uh, decided to take part in our online worship. Let's pray. King Jesus, your words are a lamp for our lives and a light to show the way in this dark world. Revive us with your message and teach us to obey you in the power of your spirit. Amen. Uh, this past week, uh, well, actually, for quite a while, I have been asking questions in my prayer times, talking to God about it. I, um, what's wrong? You know, what's wrong with our nation? What's wrong with uh, th this world that we're living in? Why is it is everything seems to be falling apart? What, uh, flashback to many years ago, why can't we all just get along? Why is it that everybody seems to think that their opinion is the only opinion anyone should have? You know, why, why do, do so many people uh, approach what could be a conversation with the attitude uh, that as soon as you're smart, you'll realize I'm right? Uh, th these things have been bothering me. I've been uh, thinking and praying and trying to figure out, you know, now, okay, let me just help you understand something. Uh, it really, uh, I, I expect people who aren't following Jesus to act like people who aren't following Jesus. Okay. Uh, but when people who are, say they're following Jesus have the same kinds of attitudes and actions and make the same kind of statements and have the same kind of judgmental and critical attitudes and, and, and words. Uh, it bothers me. It's like James said, you shouldn't get clean water and dirty water out of the same fountain. The same mouth that praises the Lord should not condemn or curse another person made in his image. And yet it's happening all the time. It's in the media. It's in the social media. It's uh, uh, it, it bothers me. So and I've been thinking about this, and, and I, I was reading through my uh, my prayer journal, entries in my prayer journal this week, uh, going back through and just looking at some of the things that, that uh, I had written down and, and uh, remembering some lessons I'd learned. And, and one of the things I found was a, a quote from uh, a book that uh, is uh, right here on my shelf. It's a little book called No Easy Road by a man named Dick Eastman. Its copyright was nearly 50 years ago. And he makes a comment in here. He makes a statement in here that I think you know, 
just think about it for a moment. Where were you 50 years ago? For those of you who are wondering, I was in middle school or junior high. It's what we called it then. Um, I did not read this book then. I got it later. Okay. But uh, so here we are 50 years ago. He makes this comment about the United States, our nation. He says, I've come to believe the apex of sin, the, 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 the highest point of sin is rebellion that's often manifested in a spirit of criticism. Rebellion leads to criticism with its roots of bitterness and hate. Nothing seems to give Satan a free hand. Nothing seems to give the forces of darkness a free hand, destroying all our efforts in prayer more than a spirit of criticism. Of all the weapons in Satan's arsenal, this one most certainly is one of the greatest. And then he asks, why are people so caught up in rebellion today? Indeed, this is the age of the protest. No person or institution in America is exempt from criticism's deadly sting. He wrote that 50 years ago, and as I'm looking around, I'm thinking, wow, if that was true then, it is really true now. The church is not free from harsh critics. Now, it never has been. We, and the people outside the church many times will criticize people inside the church. The real problem comes when people inside the church, people who say they're followers of Jesus, criticize other followers of Jesus. That's a real problem. Uh, there was a missionary uh, to India from the from America uh, in around 1900. It started a little bit before, but it's around 1900, he was in India as a missionary. Uh, he prayed so much that that his name they started calling him Praying Hyde. They didn't call him by his regular name. They just call him Praying Hyde, uh, and, and he reported uh, learning uh, an important lesson about fault-finding uh, and criticism. Now, he never spoke negatively about people in public, uh, but in his prayer life, however, uh, it wasn't the case. He says that once he, he felt a keen burden, he, he really felt a strong burden to be praying for a native uh, Indian pastor, a, a, a native pastor. And upon entering his favorite place of prayer, he's gone, gone into his place of prayer, he, he developed a bitter spirit, a bitter attitude toward this pastor's lukewarm walk with Jesus. In his mind, he criticized that pastor and began to pray a negative prayer. Oh, Father, you know how cold. And he says something stopped him. It was as if a finger seemed to touch his lips, 
sealing them shut. And he heard the Spirit's soft voice say, He that touches him touches the apple of my eye. Praying Hyde at once cried out, Forgive me, Father. Yeah, I have been an accuser of the brethren to you. In the anguish of, of this prayer, I beg God to show him positive things in the pastor's life. And as moments pass, good points saturated Hyde's mind. As each good quality came to mind, praying Hyde stopped and praised God for this dear pastor. For every single thing that he thought of, he began to praise God for this pastor. Well, that was not just a breakthrough for praying Hyde where he learned to stop criticizing others in prayer. By the way, just in case you, uh, you didn't catch it, I looked up that idea about becoming accused, an accuser of the brethren. That's, uh, that's a definition of Satan, uh, of the name Satan, accuser of the brethren, accuser of God's people. And praying Hyde recognized that in his prayer, he had begun to talk to God the way Satan does about this man. He had a breakthrough that day. Thanks for God's grace. God confronted him and called him to love this pastor that he felt was so inadequate. But it wasn't just a breakthrough for him. Soon after this time of prayer, revival hit that church. It was the impact of a loving spirit. So the author, Dick Eastman, concludes with this statement, let it never be forgotten. Forgiving hearts give birth to revival. Forgiveness both leads to and flows from revival. A lot of people in our country are talking about the need for revival and how God needs to come. We want to pour uh, the spirit to pour out. Just after reading this story about praying hide, I wanted to ask, I want to ask myself, I want to ask us, what are we willing to do? What are we willing to change in order to see the Holy Spirit move freely in and through us and to change and revive and awaken the church and the people outside the church to the wonders of who Jesus is. What are we willing to do? Well, as I mentioned, the church has always had problems with criticism. It's a human, it's a broken human problem. As broken human beings and sinful human beings, we tend to very heavily toward criticism. Criticism created uh, chaos in the first century church. Paul addresses it in Romans, uh, the whole chapter of Romans 14 and uh, the first part of uh, chapter 15. So this morning, I'm just going to be reading a few, ver uh, uh, reading Romans 14, 1 through 15, 13. 
I'll be reading from the New English uh, translation. Uh, I've been finding this a great way of uh, catching things that I hadn't noticed or become accustomed to and hearing them in a different way uh, to use uh, the New English translation. So here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 14. So it wrote, to quick background, Romans was a letter that Paul wrote to uh, Roman Christians. He was coming to their city. He wanted to introduce himself. He knew some, but he didn't know everybody. He'd never been there before. He wanted them to know, but he knew there were things going on in the church. Uh, and, and Paul was one who would never just let things uh, go on. He would be, he would address them, even if he had met these people before. And, and so now he talks to them. He says, now, Romans 14, 1, now receive the one who is weak in the faith and do not have disputes over differing opinions. One person believes in eating everything and the weak person eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not despise the one who does not. And the one who abstains must not judge the one who eats everything, for God has accepted him. Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Before his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day holier than other days, and another regards them all alike. Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day does it for the Lord. The one who eats, eats for the Lord because he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains from eating gives thanks, uh, abstains for the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself and none dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he may be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But you who eat vegetables only, why do you judge your brother or sister? And you who eat everything, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. Therefore, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, we must not pass judgment on one another. Rather, we must determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or sister. Paul says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in itself. Still, it is unclean to the one who considers it unclean. For if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy by your food someone for whom Christ died. 
Therefore, do not let what you considered good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God does not consist of food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the one who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by people. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for building up one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. For although all things are clean, it is wrong to cause anyone to stumble by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, keep to yourself before God. Blessed is the one who does not judge himself by what he approves. But the man who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not do so from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. But we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but just as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that is written in former times was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. Now, may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Receive one another just as Christ also received you to God's glory. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And thus the Gentiles glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Because of this, I will confess you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. And again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, and the one who rises to rule over the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pick up some highlights here uh, from, from this passage. Paul mentions two issues of disagreement. One involves eating meat that may have been part of worship in an idol's temple. Many of the Jewish followers of Jesus were saying, absolutely no way am I going to eat meat that's been offered to an idol. And if I'm not sure, I'm still not going to eat it. I'd rather be a vegetarian than eat meat that might have been offered to an idol. The Gentile Christians, on the other hand, were going, where's the beef? 
give me the meat. And the problem was they were looking down on each other. They were judging each other. They were criticizing each other. How can you eat that? How can you not eat that? God made it. It's a blessing. This was going on. The other thing was observing special days, particularly like the Sabbath, the, the Sabbath day rest. Uh, the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians were saying, yes, we've got to do the Sabbath. It's, it's been around since creation. Even God rested on the seventh day. Uh, the Gentiles are going, well, not really. I've never had celebrated the Sabbath. Why start now? And they were looking down on each other. Now, I want you to notice something about these two issues. Paul did not tell them who was right. He does indicate what he believes, but he does not ask them to agree with him. That's an important thing for us to notice. There are times and places where he tells people flat out, you're wrong, you need to change what you're thinking. But when it came to these two issues, these issues of uh, whether to eat meat or not, and whether to observe special days or not, Paul doesn't say, this is the right way, y'all getting shit lined. He says, you need to make up your own mind and not judge each other. In fact, that's the main issue. The main issues here were that they had judgmental and critical attitudes and actions toward each other. They judged and condemned those with differing opinions. Those who thought it was okay to eat meat thought, man, what's wrong with you crazy people who won't eat meat? The people that wouldn't eat meat thought, you can't really be a follower of Jesus and eat meat. They despised, they looked down on, they, they had contempt for, they were condescending toward those with different opinions. If you were a really strong Christian, if you were, you wouldn't agree with me. Well, if you were a really strong Christian, you'd know how wrong you are you know, you know, and how right I am. Uh, and if Paul asked some very pointed questions in here, what, they remind me of some of the questions that, that James asked. Who are you to judge? Who are you to stand in judgment? of your brother or sister. And Paul says something along the same line. Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Who are you, in other words, who are you to judge God's servant? You're not the boss. He is. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Because they don't agree with you. Why do you despise? Whoa. That's a strong word. Why do you despise your brother or sister? Simply because they have a different opinion. So here's the question. As, as we're looking around, I, I have to ask this myself and all of us, all of us who are followers of Jesus have to ask this question in this environment that we live in, and in this society. If you're not following Jesus, hey, you're free to be as judgmental and critical and uh, condescending toward people as you want to be. But if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you, no, you don't have that freedom. 
we need to be asking ourselves the question, who am I to pass judgment on people created in the image of God? Who am I to allow my mouth that praises the creator to condemn his creation made in his image? Who am I? Who am I to judge, to condemn my fellow servants? Now, Paul makes all kinds of comments here and lays down several principles uh, to correct these problems uh, of critical, judgmental attitudes and actions. And I'm going to just highlight a couple or three or four of them right now. Uh, he says, don't argue about your differences. Don't argue about it. Second thing is, he says, God has accepted the persons that don't agree with you, and God will make them stink. Then he says, each of us is going to stand and give an account to God. I, I'm not going to give an account for you, and you're not going to give an account for me. It, and we're not going to, and none of us are going to be asked to give an account for anyone else in the human race. But there will come a day when we stand before the judge, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and give an account for our lives and how we live them. So uh, he, he says that we, we're not to argue about our differences. He says to recognize that God has accepted us uh, and that the Lord is able to make us stand and to recognize that you know, we are accountable to God on the about these things. And that each person, then he says, the fourth thing is each person must know what they believe, why they believe it, and then act on what they believe in a way and to honor the Lord. And then he is an underlying principle for all of this. Put your concern for others ahead of your opinions, your rights, and your privileges. Sounds like what he wrote to the, the church in, in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. You should have the same attitude as Jesus. who didn't cling to his rights, privileges, and uh, uh, as God released them and became a human being and sacrificed himself and died for us. Put your concern for others ahead of your opinions and rights. Who am I? This is the question we need to be asking ourselves. Who am I to pass judgment on my fellow servants? I think Paul would say, like everyone else, I live as the Lord's servant, and each of us will answer for our actions. Uh, I will answer for my actions. Who am I to judge them? I'm not the judge. I'm not their boss. I'm not their master. I'm not the authority in their lives. Jesus is the authority in all of our lives, and we answer to him. So he says to them, in essence, this is the message that Jesus preached 
when he said what was asked what is the greatest commandment he says the first one was love god with everything you are and the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself everything else hinges on these two commands paul said this a very similar thing in romans chapter 13 just right before these verses he says to them Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. He says to us, treat each other with love. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to treat other people, especially people in the church, with love. See, and this is a verb not a feeling. This is an action, and the action is defined by what Jesus did, doing what's best for others no matter what it costs or how they respond to us, as Jesus did. Jesus was willing to become a servant, a slave, a sacrifice for us because that's what was best, and he did it even though it cost him everything. And he knew not everyone would respond positively to him. But he loved us enough to do it. Now, why is it so hard for us to love others, to love those with differing opinions? Why is it so hard? I mean, again, I just want to remind you, only Jesus followers are expected to do this. No one else is even going to try. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you better be trying to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this as in every moment of the day as much as you possibly can. Why is it so hard? Well, it is hard because fear floods our lives from every direction. You can't vote for that guy or that gal because they'll bring chaos. You can't bring, vote for them because they're a jerk. You can't vote for this one. You can't vote for that one. And it's always out of fear. If that person becomes the president or uh, the senator or the governor, the world will end. They have been telling us that for years, by the way. And as bad as 2020 is, the world still hasn't ended. Fear floods our lives from all directions. Everybody wants to scare us. And there's enough scary stuff already. But fear floods our lives. Insecurity floods our lives uh, as the rate of change increases. Everything is changing. Someone once said, the only thing that doesn't, doesn't change is change. Uh, change is constant, and it's getting to be rapid. So rapid, we have often no idea what's coming next. That's one of the things that's made this year so crazy. And then there's, there, there, we, so we have this fear and we have insecurity, but many of us are struggling with bitterness that has sent roots deep down into our souls because we have to blame somebody for what's going on. We are hurting and we have to blame somebody. It can't just be that we live in a broken world, right? It's got to be somebody's fault. And I've seen enough presidents to know that if you're sitting in the Oval Office, many people are going to blame you, regardless of what, what's going on. A hurricane comes, it's the president's fault. 
The economy is tanked. It's the president's fault. A war breaks out on the other side of the world. It's the president's fault. It's been that way for years, folks. So those of you who are young voters and you're hearing people say everything that's happening is the president's fault, let me trust, please trust me when I tell you, they said the th same thing about every one of the presidents before. I'm not saying there are things that aren't the president's fault. I'm just saying the people who blame the president will probably blame the next president for things that are beyond their control. Because we have this bitterness, this anger, this internal rage that says, I'm hurting and it's got to be somebody's fault, so I'm going to blame you. I mean, after all, you're a vegetarian. It's obviously your fault. Well, it's not my fault. You're the one eating meat. It's your fault. Well, if you would observe the Sabbath like God intended for us to, well, you know, I think life would go a whole lot easier if you weren't all hung up on those rules. There's our exchange. We're blaming each other. We're bitter because we're hurting and we're angry about it. And we have to blame somebody. And we have these rebellious tendencies that are kind of inborn, ingrained into us. And they push us to fight and to strike back and to assume it's part of our, our nature and it's part of our culture that we think anybody who doesn't agree with us must be the enemy. That's not the enemy. If you're a follower of Jesus, the people around you are not the enemy. So here's, why is it hard to love like Jesus? Because it doesn't come naturally to us. We, we, no matter how wonderful life has been and how wonderful our upbringing and how long, how long, it is not the way we normally respond to things. We are broken people in a broken world and loving like Jesus doesn't come naturally. And that's why I think Paul repeatedly, particularly in these verses, points us back to the cross and the resurrection. He, he points out to, the, to them, Christ died and returned to life so they could be Lord over the living and the dead. Uh, we, we need to follow Jesus' example uh, and seek to please those around us, not just please ourselves. After all, Jesus didn't please himself. It was not pleasant to be stripped and whipped and beaten and mocked and betrayed and crucified. That was not pleasant. Don't ever think that somehow Jesus enjoyed that. He endured it for the joy of knowing us and welcoming us into God's family. He endured it, but he did not enjoy it. He says to us, receive each other the way Jesus has received you. Jesus became a servant. Christ became a servant. We're to serve each other. 
here's the sermon in the sentence. I, I, if you take nothing else away from this, please take this away uh, and, and remember it. Repeat it to yourself frequently. Jesus loves them, this I know, because the Spirit tells me so. Well, how can you be a Christian and vote for XYZ? How can you be a Christian and let the government do XYZ or QRS or whatever? How can you be a Christian and da-da-da-da-da? Here's what you need to know. This is what I need to know. This is what I need to remember. It is not my place to judge whether somebody else is a Christian based on whether they agree with me or not, because Jesus loves them. This I know because the Spirit tells me so. Judgmentally critical attitudes saturate our nation's conversations, if we could call them that. I think it would be more like arguments. Uh, they're not even debates. In debates, there are rules. In arguments, we're just trying to kill each other destroy each other, embarrass each other. Even people who declare that Jesus is their Savior look down on people who don't agree with them and have the same opinions about things. These critical attitudes and actions are sin. They're sin. They're wrong. They're evil. They're destructive. They block our prayers from being answered. We must stop judging each other and pursue what makes for peace and for building each other up. That's what we're called to do. How on earth are we going to get there? I already said it wasn't easy. Well, the first step would be to ask the Spirit to reveal to you your critical attitudes and actions. I need to ask the Spirit to reveal to me my critical attitudes and actions. It's, it's not you. It's me you need to worry about. It's not me that you need to worry about. It's not anybody else. It's you. You have to take care of you. And you need to know, ask the Spirit to reveal the, any judgmental or critical attitudes and actions that you have, uh, to reveal them and convict you, to, to convince you that they're wrong, that they're sinful. And then, after you've asked him to reveal them to you, to confess those attitudes and actions and sin and turn to Jesus and ask him to help you to love as he loves. So Paul says, uh, God's kingdom isn't a matter of whether people agree with you. It's what God does in your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. The kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy, not who you vote for, not what you eat, not what days you celebrate, uh, not what race you are, not what race you, you wish you were. Uh, I mean, it, it, all these things, they're, they're, they're things we need to work on and things we need to talk about and things we need to work out with our Savior. But 
they're not ways that we are to judge each other because in the kingdom we're here for righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit let me tell you folks i am convinced that if we love each other like jesus loves us individually and collectively if we learn to pull that off in the church there will be people knocking figuratively on the door trying to figure out how to get some of that where did you learn to love people that you don't agree with let me tell you about jesus because man it ain't going to happen any other way This is my invitation to you. What, let's make our congregation a no nitpicking, no criticizing zone. Let's make our congregation a judgment-free zone. Let's make our congregation a loving service caring for each other zone let's make our congregation by the power of the holy spirit let's make our congregation a righteousness peace and joy zone oh, may the lord help us to make our congregation a putting jesus and others before me zone couple other things I want to point out to you as we wrap this up. Paul pronounced two blessings in this passage, and I'm combining them and making them my prayer for us, you and me, and our congregation. I'm combining. This is my prayer for us. Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe and trust in him so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, our Son, His Son, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for connecting uh, with us online. You can, by the way, join our Champions of Hope Facebook group if you've not already done that. There's a link in the description of this event. Uh, or if you look around on the church's Facebook page, I'm sure you can find a link to it there as well. Uh, if you join the group, you're going to find uh, uh, some unique content, content and opportunities to connect with others who are about the business of infusing people with the hope of Jesus. Jesus sends us to follow him in giving our lives for the world. Introducing others to the Holy Spirit's powerful love involves weeping and wrestling.
just like Jesus does. You are sent to join Jesus as he invites others into his kingdom family. You are sent. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Change our world.